0: Uma janatiniranda syanandana salakaya chaksurumitam de natasmai shi gurava maha. Vandeshi Krishna Chaitanya Nittyananda Sodito goro Dai Pushpabanto Chitra Sandu Sri Gaudanandaki Jai Gurivashnab Guru Paramparaki Jai Jai Silesi Bhakti Buddhanta Shami Propatki Dai. So I thought on Sundays I would discuss from the Gopal Tapani Upanishad that is in progress, commentary in progress. And I have discussed the first few verses at an earlier date some tapes of that have been made and this first verse I also discussed since then so I am going to start with the second verse here I'll read the conclusion or the last paragraph I should say it's not really a conclusion but the last paragraph to the commentary on the first verse and then we'll discuss the second verse hail to the goddess as we begin this sacred commentary on Gopal Tapani May the wise as well as those without wisdom heed her call to devotion. Blessed are the devotees. May they take pleasure in this effort in spite of its faults, and may those devotees senior to me in knowledge and devotion and the pure-hearted commentators, Sri Jiva, Chakravarti Vishwanath, and Saraswati Sri Prabodananda in particular, be merciful to me. Above all, my pranam to Sri Guru, Gaur, Govinda and Gandarbika. So, as I've mentioned, the commentary that I'm writing is drawn principally from Sri Prabodhananda Saraswati's comments. And here and there, there's a comment by Vishwanath Chakriti Thakur and Jiva Goswami. Thus far, in 49 verses, I've only had reason to cite Vishwanath Chakritakwa once and Jiva Goswami not, not at all in terms of what he's written directly on Tapani. So the point is, the real principal commentary of the Gaudias on Tapani is that of the Saraswati and the other two, Vishwanath and Sri Jiva Goswami, seem to have written additional notes here and there to his commentary. As yes, we've concluded by researching the various manuscripts available. So, obeisances to Prabhupada Nanda Saraswati in particular. And taking his commentary and meditating on that and praying about it, we come up with the essence of his commentary and whatever insights that may have come to us by his grace that we can add to that and make a contemporary presentation out of. Here it's worth mentioning in brief that. In the last sentence that I just read, the name Gandharvika is mentioned. So Gandharvika is the name, the Shruti name of Radharani, which appears in this Shruti text. Shruti means the Veda, the Upanishad, is the concluding portion of the Veda, rather than the Smriti, which is the Puranas, Itihasas, and so forth. Shruti is said to be directly issuing from the Lord and Smriti, Puranas and so forth. A remembrance, a reiteration, so to speak. Remembering, reflecting on the shruti, reiterating that. So the Shruti name for Radharani is Gandhari. Actually this name is found also in Ujbal Nilmani of Rupa Goswami, as well as Gandharvika, he also addresses her as such. And a person like Bhakti saraswati talk would like to make much of that, he named his deities in Mayapur, his Radharani Raniditi, Gandharva, Gandharvika. Sri Ramarsha followed suit in that regard also. So it, I say it's rather characteristic of him to want to draw the Gaudiya essence, the highest ideal of the is the service of Sri Radha, to the Shruti, to tie it to the sober basis of the Upanishads so that she might not be misconstrued. A Gandharva is a mystical type of a person who does many things according to the Puranas. Gandharvi, of course, is a feminine Gandharva, I guess you could say, a feminine of Gandharva. And the name indicates one who can draw the most and put the Supreme Brahman under a spell as a Gandharva puts women under a spell and takes advantage of them. So Gandharvi cast a spell on Krishna. Krishna, as Kaviraj Goswami mentions, that Krishna is Maran Mohan, the enchanter of Cupid, only when he stands next to Radha, otherwise not. Text to Om Munayo Havai Brahmanam Uchu Ka Paramo Deva Kuto Mithyaviveti Kasyav Vijnanakilam Vijnatam Bhavati Kinidam Samsaratiti So Om. Um, this is the narration of Shruti Devi, the goddess of transcendental knowledge, speaking. As per the first verse, the introductory verse, the Mongol verse, Mongalacharan verse of Gopal Tapani, she is glorifying Krishna. So Chirananda Vigraha. And in order to lend support to her statement about the supremacy of Krishna. She, as is often done in the scriptures, refers to a narrative and begins to relate that narrative of ancient times to make her point. And she begins the narrative with Om, which is also a of course an auspicious word used to invoke auspiciousness. Probably the most famous Vedic sound is Om, it was first sound uttered by Brahma at the dawn of creation, to begin his creation. All the Vedic mantras, all the names of God, are said to be contained within the syllable Om. Krishna has identified himself with Aum. Aum. Purusham Nishru. In the seventh chapter of the Gita, where he begins to identify himself with values, at least in this verse, taste in water, essences, the taste in water, rasohamapsukuntaya, prabhasmi shashi suraya, the radiance, the effulgence in the sun and the moon, pranavasarva vedaishu. as there's no meaning to water without taste, sound, shabdike paru no meaning to ethers, space, without sound, no meaning to the sun and moon without their shine, there's no meaning to the Veda, Without Om, it pervades the Veda. The whole Veda issues from Om. Huda is to say, Om is a big affirmation. Yes, and as much as every living being is inquiring about becoming happy, can I become happy? How can I become happy? Is the happiness I seek available? If so, where? This is the natural inquiry of everyone. We sit quietly, any of us, for five minutes. And follow our thoughts, and then think: If I got that, where would I be? Would I be happy? We'd probably say no to most of those thoughts, except for those thoughts that come from Krishna consciousness. And we conclude: A person with integrity would conclude, "What I'm looking for." I sat like this when I was very much younger, about 20, 21, 22 years old, and I followed all the thoughts in my mind. What? I could be, I could be a doctor, I could be a lawyer, I could be a this, I could be a that, I could go here, I could go there, I could marry and have children, I could do so many things. And I followed the thoughts as far as they would go, and I thought I wouldn't be happy. I wouldn't find the kind of happiness I'm looking for if I achieved any of those pursuits that came to my mind. So I concluded what I want is to be fully happy, and none of these thoughts that go through the mind will afford me that. So I had to find some means outside of the mind in order to be happy. And I was fortunate to find that. Then I began my inquiry, my, my serious inquiry into uh, spiritual life. So Sridhar said, Aum is an answer to that, really. it's The Veda is an answer to that kind of ardent inquiry, how to be happy, fully happy. And it says, yes, you can have it. And then thousands and thousands of verses come after that, that more or less say, but you're going about it in the wrong way. You have to change your angle of vision. It sounds simple, but not so easy. One of my govadas once in Sridharam Navadri, at Sri Chaitanya mata asked Sri Maharaj when he arrived there, can I do any seva, Guru Maharaj? And he said, yeah, try to change your angle of vision. <laughs> That's Seva, how we look at things. He used to teach that we should look at things as we look at material things, objects, to be used by us for our purpose. We should look at ourselves as an object in relation to the Supreme Lord, to be used by him as he sees fit, as tools of a carpenter. Don't argue with him, even though he takes that hammer and just beats it all day long. No complaint. So we should try to make ourselves like that in relation to Krishna. We've gone after the highest thing. Complete joy, unlimited happiness without any distress factor. This is what we're after. And we're told it can be had, it's available. So if we have to undergo any distress, any disturbance in the course of that pursuit, that is a small thing. <laughs> so keep your eyes focused on the goal, on the ideal. Don't lose sight of where you're at. And that shouldn't be hard because there are many obstacles and many things in the way of that. Don't be overwhelmed by those obstacles, my point is. Keep your eye fixed there while your feet are here and try to proceed in that way. So OM is a very uh, well-known syllable, the most well-known. And here Shruti Devi begins her narrative by invoking the auspicious pranala OM KAR. The narrative that she will recite, beginning here, it involves, in the Purvatapani, the first section of the Tapani, and a second narrative is given for the second part, the Tapani, the later section. But in this first Purvatapani, the narrative involves a discussion between Brahma and the Kumaras. And this narrative will cover the whole of the and explain the significance of what's commonly known as the Gopal Mantra here in Gopal Tapani. Gopal Tapani means, in one sense, Tapani means tapa, means knowledge, it means penance, it means austerity, it means light. That means to us that through austerity and penance we can get knowledge, we can get light, and we can know things that we would not know otherwise. So when we enter into spiritual life, we enter into a life of some discipline and some austerity, no doubt. Even materially speaking, if we're unwillingly put into a circumstance of austerity, where physically we're inconvenienced, we're forced to think philosophically or about a bigger picture. It's like I have a student now, a disciple who was in jail in Portland, writing me and he's in, at least he says in his letters, that he's in ecstasy because the jail is obviously forcing him to think philosophically and as a result of that he's becoming happy. But even if you don't have knowledge of Krishna consciousness when you're physically inconvenienced then you have to think of the bigger picture. Well, anyway, you try to find the bright side and... Put a, a bit of a philosophical perspective on it. So, austerity begets knowledge and causes us to think more deeply. If we want to think deeply, we have to sit down quietly and move away from the objects of the senses. So, Gopal tapani, shedding light on Gopal. Gopal means Krishna, the cowherd. So, in this Purva tapani of Gopal tapani, light is shed on the mantra that corresponds with the Supreme Deity. And it's revealed through the explanation of that mantra by Brahma to the Kumaras, what is the uh, actual position of Krishna as the Supreme Deity, and in some detail. So what we find here in the narrative is that through witnessing it, as we are, by discussing the text, by reading the text, we are witnessing really, in effect, the initiation of the Kumaras, by Brahma into the chanting of the 18-syllable Gopal Mantra. But don't think that just witnessing the initiation is the same as being initiated. So, thinking like this, I felt all right about writing it and distributing it, because it's very confidential knowledge in one sense, and this is Upanishad, so it's a secret esoteric doctrine, and the wisdom of it would be conveyed in previous times from guru to disciple in close quarters. Upanishad means come close, sit and the implication is to hear something confidential secret not ordinary knowledge but special knowledge esoteric knowledge now we're taking this esoteric knowledge and publishing it in books and distributing it everywhere but still it's under some lock and key even with an elaborate explanation it's only theoretical knowledge as much as anyone even your gurudev can explain a mantra that we receive at initiation, theoretically, that constitutes very little about what we can say about that which is beyond words, beyond explanation, beyond thought, inconceivable. It's Krishna. So we have to chant the mantra. In order to chant the mantra, we have to receive the mantra with the backing of the goodwill of Sri Guru and his faith in that, his standing in faith and experience in that some sense of that, some seed of that is conveyed so we can witness the initiation and then we can hear these things and want to be involved. And if we are involved, as I've already explained in the last discussion we had at the time of giving the mantra diksha to some of you, initiation is generally not something that takes place in a minute or five minutes and it's over. The mantra is received and the initiation is cultured with siksha and the disciples' practical application of that siksha in relation to the chanting of the mantra and so forth brings about the completion of the initiation. It's sambandha. It's about relationship with Krishna, entering into a relationship with Krishna. So it takes time. So when we hear Gopal and commentary like this on the mantras that we're chanting, we get some insight from that and that would help us to focus in the least... We should contemplate the meaning of the mantra while chanting it, the theoretical meaning. And then that will help us to focus our mind and not let the mind go here, there, and everywhere. And then we'll get some experience. And the experience is, that's like it's a change in location. You feel in a different place, a new place, but friendly like I've been there before because it's the homeland of the heart. Come in touch with that. And I feel like I know what to do here, how to move about. It's like going home. Although we can say theoretically we've never been there, but that means to say we've never experienced our real nature, the fullness of our real nature, our original nature, our fullest potential, everything about ourselves. From some familiarity with that domain that is non different with the Supreme Deity, Golok. So, here, deep subjects, deep subjects, high topics, and high people involved in the discussion, in effect, in the initiation that we're witnessing through the medium of the text. Brahma and the Kumaras, they're both well known figures throughout the Vedic. Literature, the Puranas, the Upanishads, they appear again and again and again. Brahma, of course, is the god of creation, four-headed. It's said at the dawn, at the time of his birth, he looked in all directions. This is the kind of metaphorical implication of his four heads. Not that he doesn't have four, but it means also he looked in all directions. He searched ardently for his source, what he was about, what life was about, what is the nature of being. And as a result of his sincerity in searching, he got some reciprocation from the source of his birth that, of course, enabled him to meet his source. And, as we'll hear in this Upanishad, receive the mantra and realize the full extent of his source. Narayan is his source, but Narayan has a source. Who is the source of Narayan? Krishna. Krishna's two other ones, <laughs> He wanted to know his source, he found him in no uncertain terms. He found Nanayan. Nanayan gave him advice and appeared before him, he dressed like a gopa. He gave him the mantra, instructions how to chant it. He chanted it and he realized kalok. We have that in Brahma Samhita. He's explaining all of that. Tene Brahma It said in the opening stanza of Bhagavatam that Brahma was enlightened in the heart. By Vasudeva Krishna, Nandan Krishna. Vasudha. Vasudeva is another name for Krishna. Vasudha. Vasudeva is the father of Nandan Krishna, but Vasudeva is said to be another name for Nanda Maharaj also. Omnamo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Vasudha means who possesses great wealth. He had great wealth to have Krishna as his son. So that son enlightened Brahma in his heart with all the Vedic truths. Brahma is no fool learned person, he knows all the Vedas, he read them over three times with four heads. And then he began to expand the Vedic knowledge and other than the vast fund of knowledge that he possesses, he's speaking this Upanishad from the vantage point of realization and love of God and to the Kumaras, again, well-known figures, the sons of Brahma who disobeyed him. So they're a little bit revolutionary and unconventional, these Kumaras. It comes out here in this Upanishad. Brahma wanted them to create because one of the businesses of Brahma is the creation. And you need to create, uh, well, to create, the first you go to your sons. Let's marry up and expand the family. So he asked them to marry and they refused. Every Indian boy should hear this. They're so pressured to marry, but here we find the example of disobeying the father, and it's all right. It's okay. They chose to be celibate monastics from the very youth, as the name Kumar indicates. It means youth. So they are depicted as just toddlers. Toddlers, very wise though. And as children will walk naked, and no one will say anything. So they were so pure, that they could, this is the idea that is symbolized in the way they are depicted, they're so pure that they could walk naked like children can, and no one would be disturbed. Purity, their innocence. So they were jnanis, they were jnani bhaktas. The story of their becoming bhaktas, of course, is given in Srimad Bhagavatam. A long story. They weren't jnanis like in the Shankar lineage, who were inimical to the Supreme Lord. But they were interested in worshiping the Lord in terms of having knowledge of the fact that He's the Supreme Lord. But as I said earlier, as evidenced from their disobeying their Father, they're a little bit unpredictable and a little bit independent and maverick, so to speak, in their approach to life. And it appears that while, for the most part, in the Godia literature, they are depicted as gani Bhaktas. Gani Bhakta means all the way up to Dwarka. Who delivers a gani Bhakta? He's certainly a Bhakta. His Bhakti is colored by knowledge of the fact that Krishna is the Supreme Lord. That is the difference between the devotees all the way up to Dwarka and those in the Mathura-Mandal and Braj, in particular, in Vrindavan. There, they don't know that Krishna is the Supreme Lord. And they think of him in terms as their friend, as their lover, as their son. And that what we call ragatmika bhakti. Ragatmika bhakti. And to follow that is called raganuga. anuga. means to follow. So follow in the rag, Follow in that independence. Independence from the Vedic literature. You love to be a bit of a maverick. And it is said to be risky. And we're cautioned about it even. Again and again and again and again. At a certain point, that we'll have to cast caution to the wind and follow our interest in that direction. So we are all doing that in one sense, in a very limited way, because we are all interested in that kind of bhakti. We don't want to go to Rakunta, we want to go to Goloka. And when, if we analyze that carefully, we'll say, oh my goodness, you have to take a swallow. Goodness, I'm going to be stepping over Parlad and Narada and Brahma and so many other devotees. We we're worshiping the Supreme Lord, Krishna, and I'm going to be dealing with him on intimate terms, even wrestling with him and, like the cowherds, challenging him and dealing with him like gopis are doing. What is my position to do that? I'm a tiny insignificant soul, but the thing is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is opening the door for that to us, that possibility. Shall we pass him by? He's our deity. Let us worship Gaur and Nityananda with a great regard. Follow their teaching. Give up sense gratification, chant Hare Krishna. Simple. <laughs> Very easy. <laughs> These two things. Muke bolo hari hari. Vishaya se rase majiya. Muke bolo hari hari. They make it sound so simple. So, emphasize the easy part. Chant Hare Krishna in kirtan. That's easy come and stand before the deity. As I told Ramkeshwar the other night, I grabbed it by the shoulder and said, what did I say? You have to think, is there anything more beautiful than this? Having a darshan of Gauranikananda? And if you think about it, you have to come to the conclusion, yes, because the beauty is solidly grounded on a foundation of Vedanta. Not like the beauty of this world. She's beautiful today, but... What would she look like tomorrow, in 10 years, in 20 years, in 50 years? And then, gone. Disappear altogether. Not this beauty. It's well grounded in Vedanta. You cannot find such beauty, it's a fact. And make you want to chant. Make you want to dance. And that will make sense gratification look distasteful. So, worship Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, at What did Prabhupada say? He had three principal residences in India. What did he say? My office is in Bombay. My place of worship is in Mayapur. My residence is in Vrindavan. Worship in Mayapur. Worship in Navadweep. Live in Vrindavan. You cannot worship Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and not be Krishna conscious. Chaitanya means Krishna consciousness. Consciousness of Krishna. Wherever he goes, whatever he does, he's absorbed in thoughts of Krishna in the highest way. In the context of Leela, as he performs kirtan and goes from here to there, he enters into the lila of Krishna. He rises in the morning. As we sing, he takes his bath in the Suraduni Ganga. He comes back, worships the deity, takes Prasad with his associates. He goes out, comes to the house of Shuklambar and others, and there he sees in the Congo Delta some cowherds and their cows. Oh, and he begins to sing, Jai Gopal, Jai Govinda. And then he enters into the Gosti Leela, cowherding Leela of Krishna. And all the devotees go with him, relative according to their bhav, They enter into that. Either they're going with him or standing on the sidelines, remaining in the village, wishing they could go, going with their hearts. Sending messages as gopis do by their glances to those friends of Krishna who will relay what the meaning is so there can be a meeting and this way. Worship Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Live in Vrindavan. This is the idea. By Chaitanya Dev's grace, this kind of bhakti is possible for us. Unqualified we are, but we have a desire for it and that is your qualification. And where does the desire come from? Sadhu-sangha. Keep that sadhu Increase that desire, that genuine interest in Braj-bhakti. And genuine interest in Braj-bhakti means, I will be interested in all the tattva also, everything about that. That Vedanta foundation, that, as I've said in other places, at other times, which is the canvas on which the art of Krishna-lila is drawn, the stage on which the drama of Krishna the leelas arising out of not that oh, I'm raghunuga Bhakta items. I'm not interested in reading I don't read the Veda Bhagavad Gita any of these things that is all lower thing it may come to that at some point it is said in Vrindavan they aren't reading the Vedas we don't find the gopis are reading the Vedas there but if we read any of the Goswami's descriptions of the leelas we find oh those gopis have so much knowledge they know the Veda completely we find that as they speak and do their movements and so forth. That knowledge that hattva that is suppressed but it's all pervading. I've given an example before. Sudarmaj gave this example of the United States being the most powerful military industrial complex. But at least previous to the times of terrorism in which we live now, you didn't see tanks everywhere or machine guns. now they're increasing the armed guards at the airports and so forth. It always used to strike me when I'd fly to India and go through a stop off in Germany or in Italy on the way uh, wherever the plane might stop, and there would be all the guards that have machine guns in the airports, whereas in this country you don't, at least previously you didn't see them. or in Russia, they would parade the tanks and, and the missiles on the uh, sacred days of the communist uh, regime (laughs) and so forth. we don't find that in America. But if America is attacked, then they come out everywhere. So in Vrindavan, knowledge isn't required. It's suppressed by love. It gets in the way. Knowledge means, oh, I know he's God. Better get in the way. So it's suppressed. But when those gopikas and gopas, they come here, in the sadhaka-deha, in Gaur-lila to preach, we find out they have so much knowledge. So we should be interested in that plane, but real interest in that plane, at our stage, should translate out into interest in all, in Bhagavad Gita, Srimad Bhagavatam, all nine cantos up to the 10th canto, including the 11th canto, 12th canto, the afterthought, all these things. I remember once I was listening to Gurudev Maharaj, the charge of Chaitanya Swamit speak, at one place, and he was speaking about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu being told by his Gurudev, "You cannot study Vedanta, just chant Krishna Mantra, Krishna Nam." So he was explaining like this, and everybody likes to hear this. Just study Vedanta is very troublesome, and just chant Hare Krishna. And while he was explaining that, he was quoting so many slokas from so many places. <laughs> so my thought was just see this is the teaching don't study Vedanta it's not just Hari Krishna yes that's true but who's saying that see how much knowledge of Vedanta he has how well he studies all those books to be able to speak in such a convincing way about that to make such a strong point like that so we should be interested in the tattva because first become tatpavit then become Babuka, Rasika. This is the progression. So these kumars, the Tatpavit, very learned, very sober people, and Brahma, very sober. They're having a sober conversation about that high plane. And while the kumars, as I mentioned, in the Gaudi lineage and the Gaudi literature, are typically depicted as Gani bhaktas, to make a point, the kind of point I'm making, that this prajlila, this bhakti is not for less intelligent people. It's for thoughtful people. That even gyanis are becoming attracted. Sukadev got attracted. He was not Marama. The Kumaras got attracted. They were big Brahma jnanis. They became attracted to the bhakti of, of the Lord. And it's beyond that, beyond jnan. The end of jnan. So they are generally depicted in Gaudiya in Such a way as to make this point. But here we find... In a Gaudiya text, this is a Vaishnava Upanishad, the text itself says so, and it is most dear to the Gaudiyas, whose deity is Gopal. These Kumars are inquiring and ardently, with eagerness, it will be pointed out as the text goes on, about this subject matter, which is rag-bhakti. Gopal mantra is meant for that. Kam Gayatri, the corresponding Gayatri that goes with that. So they have interest in that. So... As I said before, many of these devotees in the literature, they speak to us about a particular thing that's important for us to know, their life's example, but there may be more about them than is told in that prominent example. Naradas by Kuntha But if we scan throughout the literature, we find, oh, he had a, an interest in bhakti also. He took a bath at the Kund and at Govardhan and came out with a Gopideha, Shiva had access to the Brajlila, both as a gopa and Gopi. Prahlad may have some secret life. So, the Kumaras have some interest in Raghbhakti. In fact, outside of Gaudiya Sampradaya, the Kumaras are the founders of a Sampradaya, more commonly known as the Nimbarka Sampradaya, whose teaching is Dweta Dweta, Dweta Dweta Vedanta. And it is a ragmarg. Sampardaya, with emphasis on Radharani, as opposed to the Balabha Sampradaya, otherwise known as the Rudra Sampradaya, which is also a Sampradaya. No emphasis on Radharani there. But in the Kumar Sampradaya, Nimbark Sampradaya, and many Nimbarkis that are there in Vrindavan today, they are interested in this Vrajbhakti, Vrajbhakti, Ragba, not exactly, that. they are interested in Swakya of Radha and Krishna, the outer petal of this Goloka Vrindavan. So, this is what they're interested in here. As they disobeyed their father, they're apparently uh, willing to take some risk, pursue such a such an unheard of thing as dealing with Krishna in Bhakti as the inhabitants of Vrindavan do. So, in one sense, the point of this second verse that I've drawn out and emphasized is the uh, considerable... Sobriety and sensual restraint that is involved in pursuing this high ideal that the Kumaras and Brahma so much exemplify. So, any question? What's Sakyi? Sakyi so, means married. So there is an experience in Goloka Vrindavan where Radha and Krishna are married also. But not for us, right? It's just what other others yeah. Although Gopal Champu of Jiva depicts Radha and Krishna as being married in Golok, he does so for the purpose of saying that this is the Siddhanta, they're Swakhya. They don't belong to anybody else, those gopis, really. Even though the Bhav is Parakhya, the Siddhanta is Swakhya. Do you understand? The truth is, they don't belong to anybody else. But the Bhav creates an illusion as if they do, for the sake of intimacy. This is the idea. All right, so we stop there. Sri gopaltapani Upanishad ki jai, Gauri Vasanav Guru Parampara ki jai, Jai, Sri Bhakti Vedanta Swami Prabhupada ki jai, Bhakti Dev Devga Swami Maharaj ki jai,